Welcome to Council 4 Unplugged. This is the podcast of Council 4 of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. We are headquartered in New Britain, Connecticut, and we are proud to represent 30,000 hardworking people in the public and private sector throughout the great state of Connecticut. I'm Larry Dorman at Council 4, and with me is my colleague, Renee Hamill. How are you doing, Renee? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, we have a special guest today. Um, this is uh, a person um, I've wanted to have on since uh, we started this podcast a couple of years ago, and uh, I think maybe it takes a crisis to get one of the uh, sanest and most compassionate and smartest voices around, um, and I am talking about the United States Congressman from the 2nd District, and he is Rep- U.S. Representative Joe Courtney. Joe, thank you so much for giving us a few minutes of your time today. Great. Well, thank you, uh, Larry. I got nowhere to go but downhill. (laughs) And thank you, Renee, for uh, the invitation. Well, listen, it's good to have you. When we were, um, it's not really funny, but we were kind of um, talking before. It's good to see we're we're actually getting to see each other without masks. But, um, you know, I want to commend you. Um, You have been all over the second district in uh, eastern and southeastern Connecticut. And I always see you with uh, your mask on. And I know that the uh, impact of this pandemic and and this crisis has just really uh, affected you and your staff personally. And um, uh, I know you were out there uh, providing the best possible constituent service. Uh, This is just simply I've never seen anything like this. So I guess, you know, before we get into the specific questions Renee and I had for you, um, how are you reacting and handling everything that's going on? Well, I think, um, you know, your description of, uh, you know, the way that members' offices had to really adjust and adapt to this situation. Uh, obviously, um, like everybody else, we we had to use good social distancing practices. So everybody's been um, kind of you know, repositioning themselves with social distancing. Uh, the volume of calls and emails coming in, uh, particularly as programs unfolded with the CARES Act, uh, have just gone through the roof. And um, uh, we've done our best in terms of, uh, you know, individual communication, telephone town halls. We've done six of them. Uh, but I think the one night we had 10,000 people uh, on the call. Uh, again, with uh, a lot of the same questions, uh, we've done Zoom um, meetings with farmers, small businesses, uh, you know, labor uh, groups as well. Um, and um, uh, again, you just have to kind of be agile and, uh, and adapt. And, you know, the, uh, I, I think there's obviously been some good outcomes in terms of some of the interaction, but there's obviously still a lot of pain out there in terms of, you know, what has happened um, out of the blue. Uh, and I'm glad, you know, we're gonna have a chance to talk about that and what steps have been taken place, but also what needs to be done. Cause our, really our work is far from done. Um, yeah, I, I can imagine, I can yeah. imagine. So with that, I, I guess I'll throw it over to Renee um, for, we do have some specific questions about what's going on, Renee. Sure. Yeah, so um, a lot of our members and, you know, AFSCME internationally and our union especially, we're all wondering about what the status of the HEROES Act is, but um, for those who don't know, I was wondering if you can also just explain about what it is. Sure. I mean, I really appreciate you, the opportunity to walk through some of this. Um, again, on May 15th, the House of Representatives took up a follow-on bill to the CARES Act, um, actually even bigger than the CARES Act. Uh, it's about $3 trillion package to address the fact that um, 
you know, we're, we're seeing unemployment that far is higher than the Great Recession back in 2009 and 2010. And, you know, the CARES Act was a, a good first step in terms of getting cash assistance out to people, uh, quickly boosting funding for healthcare, uh, critical healthcare services, um, you know, small business assistance, et cetera. Uh, but uh, as the chairman of the Federal Reserve Board, uh, Jerome Powell, who is, a, that is probably the best economic um, intel uh, of really almost anybody in the world, um, you know, the, the severity of this uh, recession caused by uh, the COVID uh, crisis, um, you know, is just at the beginning stages. Um, we, we obviously saw huge unemployment numbers in April, uh, roughly about 15% nationally. Uh, the, the May numbers, uh, the, the number that was reported fluttered down to about 13.3%, but the Department of Labor was quick to point out that there was a misclassification in that report. They, they treated people who were furloughed as working. And you know we all know that, in fact, furloughed workers are people who are uh, not working and are collecting unemployment and who may be just in a temporary status of, of flipping from furlough to full uh, layoff. And so, um, you know, following the Powell's advice and certainly taking input from around the country, the HEROES Act was put together to address, uh, again, some of the really, um, you know, most acute and urgent problems. Uh, and the biggest piece of that, the $3 trillion, is $1 trillion to state and local governments who uh, spread out over two year period. Um, you know, every economist, and, and I can remember this from being in Congress during the Great Recession, the most efficient way to get fiscal stimulus into the economy is through state and local government because you have a, a, you know, an infrastructure in place, a large employment base, as Larry said, you know, thousands of people that, that are just your members and there's others obviously in the state of Connecticut um, and at the local level as well. Um, they're they're, they're going to feel the, the, the pinch um, very soon in terms of dropping revenue. Again, the state of Connecticut has not been collecting sales tax or income tax or gasoline taxes or, you know, while the, the economy has been going through this sort of self-induced coma. And that is going to uh, show up in terms of uh, huge deficits. The Office of Policy and Management in the state of Connecticut is projecting that the state will burn through the rainy day fund in about a year's time which, you know, as we all know, that took about 10 years of crawling over broken glass to, to you know, replenish uh, that fund. And, um, and, and as a result, if, if Washington does not step in and provide more fiscal help for state and local government, um, you know, governors, legislators, local officials are gonna be faced with this horrible choice of raising taxes or laying people off, which is exactly the opposite of what you need during a recession. Right. The HEROES Act steps in with, um, you know, the lending capacity of the federal government, which right now, you know, the interest rates are at zero percent. There is really, it's almost negative cost in terms of borrowing money um, for the federal government, something which state government can't do by itself, something that clearly local government can't do by itself. So we are uniquely positioned to provide that fiscal stimulus, and that's exactly what the HEROES Act does. A trillion dollars to state and local you know, it's uh, 500 billion for the states, again, spread out over two years. So it tries to give state government a horizon in terms of budget planning. And the same uh, at the local level. Um, again, just a couple of days ago, the Connecticut Mirror reported 
from the state budget office that's that local government um, is, is projected to lose about $470 million um, just in the, in the, the rest of this um, calendar year. Um, so, um, you know, when we talk about, um, you know, the, the people, the first responders, the heroes, you know, the people who provided essential services, the sanitation workers, um, you know, the, the, the people at the state level who you know, had to go to work in, in our prisons, uh, the people who had to report to work in, in um, you know, first responder agencies, um, you know, they're going to take the hit if we don't step in and provide that, that fiscal assistance. So that's, you know, that is really a big, big part of what the, the HEROES Act is all about. And, um, yeah. you know, there's other, there's other pieces of it, which I'm happy to talk about, but, you know, in terms of particularly your members, I mean, th this yes, is yes. really almost yes. existential. It is. Um, and you, you just touched on something uh, regarding the fact that the state of Connecticut and its 169 municipalities are facing severe, drastic revenue shortages um, due to the beating and, you know, due to the convulsions, the economic convulsions that uh, coronavirus has caused. Uh, we appreciate your support. I believe the entire Connecticut delegation um, is also on board with um, supporting and voting for a sufficiently funded HEROES Act. But uh, given that this is an opportunity for you to, to speak to our members and, and the public, is there anything else you think that uh, union members can do and should be doing uh, to help get the necessary federal aid that will provide funding for decent services that will prevent layoffs, furloughs, pay cuts, right. service cuts, higher taxes, et cetera? So a um, couple things. Number one, you know, we actually have a town by town breakdown in terms of what the HEROES Act would do for communities like Ledyard, which Renee, Renee and I were just talking about, or, you know, all the way up to Bridgeport. And so th there actually is very explicit concrete data that you can use when you're talking to your local officials who may be looking for, um, you know, givebacks or pay freezes or whatever, which is that, um, you know, there, there's actually an opportunity out there uh, with the HEROES Act. And, and you know, I, I would say that the communication shouldn't just be to the delegation. We really need to get this deployed, you know, that information deployed as widely and broadly as we possibly can, because that's how you're going to create the external pressure for the Senate to, to act. You know, one thing I wanted to point out is coming from Eastern Connecticut, the local aid piece of the HEROES Act actually um, earmarks uh, about half of the, the local aid to communities of populations of 50,000 or less. Um, you know, you know, Larry, you've been around long enough to know that when federal aid some flows through state governments, um, sometimes it doesn't make its way out <laughs> to to uh, you know the, the, the street to the to this in, in smaller communities. And this has been a perennial uh, complaint in Eastern Connecticut is that they sort of are always, um, you know, at the end of the buffet line, you know, when, when federal aid comes through. And again, we, we really, you know, we're very mindful of that, that we need to get that aid, you know, uh, directly um, to even the small towns uh, where, again, a lot of your members, uh, and again, we're happy to supply that town by town data because I think that's really important. Um, Randy Weingarten, when she was at the uh, rally uh, in New London a couple of weeks ago talking about the HEROES Act, said that their goal is to get 5 million communications into Washington um, you know, between now and when the Senate uh, finally starts to move on this. 
And frankly, to the extent that members can contact Senator Blumenthal and Senator Murphy, that's all good, you know, because we want to have those, you know, over that overwhelming force, <laughs> you know, um, out there. And uh, that helps, frankly, the two senators in terms of their own um, communication to show that, you know, again, this, this is uh, something that is very broad-based and organic, and it's about saving jobs and, and, right. and, and reducing the, the length of the recession. Understood. And uh, before I turn it over to Renee, I do want to tell uh, folks listening to the podcast, if you go to councilfuller.org, right on our own homepage is an action uh, called Fund the Front Lines. Uh, I would also encourage, I would encourage folks to just send, uh, it's easy to fill out. That message will go to the entire delegation so they can bring it back to their leadership, which I think is what you're, you're saying. Exactly. Is totally. To get, to get to that 5 million um, saturation point. Um, and also just want to thank uh, Congressman Courtney. Uh, we will post it as well um, in relation to the promotion for this podcast. You had an editorial uh, last week in the New London Day called Fund the Front Lines. So I think uh, you obviously understand what the implications are. Great. Thank you. Renee? Yeah, thank you for um, putting that out there. Um, you know, we've seen from the pandemic that our workforce is on the front lines and how important public services for our communities, especially getting us through a pandemic like this and um, helping people. Um, you know, we're worried that if the HEROES Act doesn't get passed, that that aid to local and um, state governments um, will, you know, impact public services that we provide to our communities and to of our members. Um, but can you tell us what are the next steps if um, the HEROES Act continues to be stalled? And, you know, especially when we see Mitch McConnell, you know, um, supporting big business. And there's a lot of bailout that has been given right. to them, but stalling as far as helping our towns and states. So, again, um, the state of play today, you know, June 10th, um, is that um, this morning's uh, Washington Post, uh, there was at least a flicker of uh, intelligent life um, when, uh, you know, Senator McConnell and John Thune, who's the, um, you know, the second in command in the Republican caucus in the Senate, um, indicated that they will, they do anticipate taking up uh, a COVID stimulus bill sometime after July 4th. Um, again, I think that is, um, you know, really, um, you know, willfully negligent in terms of, you know, the fact that we've got the Federal Reserve Board jumping up and down saying, you know, monetary policy is not enough. We need more fiscal help out there. Um, and, but nonetheless, I mean, it does seem, appear that there's going to be some movement and some uh, action that's there. I mean, the good news is that um, there's some vulnerable Republican senators, Susan Collins in Maine, um, Cory Gardner in uh, Colorado, uh, Murkowski uh, in Alaska, um, you know, uh, even Cassidy in Louisiana, who have actually really publicly come out for state and local assistance to be part of a stimulus uh, package, the next stimulus package. And, um, and there are Republican governors uh, around the country that are also, uh, because they're seeing the same thing. This is really not about partisan politics. It's about math. You know, I mean, it, it, every one of these states is, is experiencing the drop off in revenue, which is creating you know, really an impossible set of choices for, for uh, state and local government. So, um, uh, you know, if you go back and look at the CARES Act, which, you know, the, the original version of it, which came out of McConnell's office, as you point out, Renee, it was totally, it was really TARP. I mean, it was a corporate bailout. There was no uh, funding for hospitals. 
for healthcare workers. Uh, there was zero money for state and local government. Um, and because of the external pressure that came in, um, you know, when the CARES Act was being put together, uh, we were able to at least wedge some of those priorities into the final uh, product that we, we voted on, and which, by the way, was almost unanimous uh, when it finally came to the floor. The problem with the state and local money that was in the CARES Act is that it is, it is um, very strictly connected to only reimbursement for COVID-related expenses, which is a good thing uh, because there's no question that you know paying for PPE and for um, you know uh, you know overtime for people who are uh, frontline workers dealing with um, COVID patients, you know that's that's a good thing, but it's too narrow, um, you know, a funding uh, stream, and that we really have to recognize that the loss of revenue that's happening to state governments and local governments um, has to be um, backfilled by the federal government. And that's really what the HEROES Act is aimed at doing so that, again, we don't have this catastrophic collapse of services, as you pointed out, Renee, which is, you know, by the way, we're still not out of the woods yet with, with COVID. Um, and, you know, hopefully, you know, we're not going to have a, a second wave when the weather gets colder and flu season uh, returns. But, um, you know, we, we really uh, should not let down our guard. And, and the HEROES Act makes sure that we, we retain that human infrastructure in terms of frontline workers so that we're ready, um, you know, to, to continue to deal with this issue. Uh, Congressman, kind of a two-part question that uh, sort of riffing off what you just um, mentioned. Um, one is that our, many of our members um, are dealing with the fact that um, employers simply were not able and ready and prepared to provide PPE. And they're also um, equally concerned uh, about what you just mentioned, which is a, a COVID resurgence in the fall. So I wanted to ask you kind of a two-part question. What steps do you think that Congress and the administration can help to deal with PPE? And then going back to uh, HEROES Act, um, do you anticipate that there will be some sort of hazardous duty pay um, for COVID frontline workers. So in the in the Heroes Act, um, you know, again, there was new money for PPE, um, and and by the way, there was in the CARES Act as well. I mean, what I think is so exasperating about this issue is that it's really not a resource question. I mean, no one's really disputing the fact that um, you know we, we need to get more PPE out there. Um, what I think um, this crisis has, has um, spotlighted is the fact that, um, you know, because of, I think, trade policy and partly because of, um, you know, a very short-sighted uh, business model uh, where um, U.S. companies were offshoring the production of, of uh, medical devices, you know, um, uh, different pharmaceutical products, as well as PPE, you know, when the time came for um, supplies, uh, there was no inventory, there was no uh, supply chain um, that you could really uh, turn on. Um, and, you know, certainly um, the administration, I think, was very lax in terms of invoking the Defense Production Act, which is a, a law that's been on the books since the Korean War that empowers um the U.S. government to uh, basically get companies, uh, in, you know, up and running in terms of production, uh, but even the most, um, you know, rapid, uh, speedy use of that law still would have, I think, you know, not been enough in terms of filling that, you know, that gap there. So, um, 
the, the HEROES Act actually finally, you know, talks about, you know, the fact that we have to get basically a chain of command in place to deal with this issue. I mean, right now, um, you know, if you're trying to figure out who's who's in charge in terms of making sure PPE is, is distributed to state and local and hospitals, et cetera, um, you've got FEMA, you've got the Defense Logistics Agency, you've got the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, you know, nobody's in charge. You know, again, lots of money swirling around out there, but in terms of, you know, who's actually directing the traffic, um, that that's really been missing. And so, um, the HEROES Act actually creates uh, an office that really would finally be the decision maker in terms of, you know, um, again, implementing Defense Production Act uh, decisions, as well as uh, making sure that, um, you know, we're not going to have this sort of hunger games out there with different, you know, stakeholders competing for PPE, because that's exactly what's happening right now. We have state governments, yep. you know, Ed Lamont, who is credit, you know, found a pathway to get some equipment in the Connecticut. Uh, there's been private individuals. Uh, I just dropped off some KN95 masks in Vernon um, from a guy in East Haddam who, um, knew somebody who knew somebody in China <laughs> to get any, I mean, it's crazy that it you know, is. we've been reduced to this. Um, yeah. So um, never could have know, imagined it. You know, looking forward, 9-11 commission equivalent, we need that to just sort of ex- get to the bottom of some of these incredible weaknesses that this um, epidemic, pandemic has exposed. Yeah, and, um, you know, another thing that the pandemic has exposed is a lot of our inequality that we have. Um, not only in terms of, you know, that we're seeing um, people of color um, that are dying at higher rates and are higher positive rates, um, but also just, you know, the, the people that are the service jobs, you know, are the ones, the essential employees. And we're hearing a lot of people that are on the front lines, people thanking them. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, people that are working the front lines make up the um, working class and the middle class. Um, and so I do see that, I think we see that the pandemic is an opportunity to revision our economy so that um, we can include people that have been um, not included and been inf- affected by this. Um, you know, and a lot of people are talking about state workers and municipal workers, um, you know, just trying to delay their raises. So, um, you know, I think this is a time that we need to be thinking about how we can change things. And so um, we've been seeing too a lot of billionaires that have been added a lot of money to their bank accounts. Um, so, you know, we've also seen that with tax reform, billionaires pay um, 23% of their income in taxes, but low and middle income working families pay 28% of their income in taxes. So what are your thoughts on uh, restoring taxes on the wealthy, especially for- Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, th- that question, um, you know, the, the sort of shared reality that we went through in terms of, um, you know, everyone um, realizing that this was a, um, a threat that, you know, affected the high and the low and the, you know, everyone in between in terms of, you know, society. And, you know, as you point out, Renee, you know, the, the recognition of healthcare heroes and, you know, people working in the grocery stores and, and um, you know, hopefully that's that's not that moment is not going to just be a moment and fades away because it is the 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 question is is that well yeah I mean we we recognize the value of what people like in the front lines were doing um, now it's time to really address the issues of um, you know making sure that um, you know they're they're compensated and and you know treated um, with the value that we all sort of uh, 
learned about you know, during, during this event. Um, by the way, the HEROES Act does include a HEROES Fund uh, to, and I think Larry, you asked about this, you know, the prior yes. question, which is just, yes, which does recognize sort of a, a hazardous duty premium payment uh, for, again, a whole series of, of folks, you know, many of whom we're talking about here and, you know, different sectors that have, you know, put themselves at great uh, personal risk, you know, in March and April and May, and that um, it, it would pay out a $13 an hour um, sort of bonus payment premium, you know, premium, whatever you want to call it, hazardous duty, uh, up to $10,000, um, you know, for the fact that they, you know, were going to work uh, while uh, everyone else was staying at home. Um, and so uh, hopefully that's, you know, something that people will recognize the, you know, the, the pandemic unemployment um, add-on, the $600 a week was again, a recognition that, you know, we wanted to make sure people, um, you know, could pay the bills while they were staying at home. But you know, when you think about it, the people who are going to work at the same time, they're not getting uh, any kind of uh, extra add-on or payment. And there's really just a simple equity and fairness issue that I think the um, Heroes Fund tries to address. In terms of, you know, Renee's uh, larger question though, which is that you know, moving forward, um, you know, somebody who opposed the Trump tax cut, the 2017, um, you know, giveaway that. You know, it was a $2 trillion tax cut, 83% went to the top, you know, 1% in corporations. There's no question that, um, you know, that has to be revisited. And, um, uh, you know, the, the extra twist of the knife for states like Connecticut was, you know, capping SALT, the state and local tax deduction, um, actually, again, put downward pressure in terms of, um, you know, the ability of the state and local communities to actually have a, a you know, sustainable um, revenue base. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think that certainly, you know, the new majority in the House of Representatives, uh, I think you could pass tax reform that restores, you know, top marginal rates, um, that rolls back um, the corporate tax cut, that uh, frankly, even corporations said they were surprised at how low it was cut to. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, and I'm telling they you did. that I, I've been in those in the room where people have made that exact comment to me. And um, and frankly, we also need to look at the question of, um, you know, the way um, unearned income is gets preferential tax treatment. Capital gains, uh, again, is taxed at a much lower rate than, than earned income, you know, that people who go to work every day, pay, I mean, the fact that they pay a high, higher uh, tax rate and people who are just, you know, collecting um, dividends, um, you know, is really, there's no economic value to that. I mean, I think the studies are, you know, have been in now for, for years that, that demonstrate that point. So, uh, uh, you know, we obviously need to use this, uh, this experience as a way of trying to rebalance, you know, how we as a country value um, different types of work and, and also, um, rebalance fairness in terms of who pays. And I, and I think, um, you know, obviously a lot of these bills, which are large expenditures, the CARES Act was $2 trillion, the HEROES Act is $3 trillion. There's gonna be, you know, we're gonna have to at some point, you know, when, when the economy starts to, re, you know, really heal and grow, uh, you know, look at, um, you know, particularly the tax code as a way of trying to uh, make sure that we have a sustainable fiscal um, situation, which is important to the public employees too. Yep, absolutely. Um, well said as always. I think that's yep. a, a great way for us to finish up.
I want to thank you, Congressman Joe Courtney, for being a guest on Council Forum Plugged. I want to thank uh, my coworkers, Renee Hamill, who co-hosts this, and Johnny Daly, who's behind the scenes engineering this. Uh, Congressman, keep up the great work. Uh, we'll be talking to you soon. We will, I'm sure. And thank yes. you for, uh, you know, really the opportunity to catch up on things. And thank you, Renee. Thank you, Johnny. It's deeply yeah. appreciated. Um, you have been unplugged. And with that, I will say goodbye and we'll see you soon. As always, thanks for listening to our Council for Unplugged podcast. You can find us on all major social platforms by searching for Council for AFSME. Our website is council4.org. My name's Larry Dorman, and you've been unplugged. <laughs>